this is Dr. Lynn Varela. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and have a PhD in psychology. I have specialized in treating people with BPD, which is borderline personality disorder, and complex PTSD for over a decade. The criteria for somebody to be diagnosed with BPD is multiple, and we will discuss them in this session today so that you or anybody that you know that may be struggling with this can know where they are and if they need to seek out help. First, people with BPD tend to have abandonment issues that started in childhood because either they were physically and or emotionally abandoned by their parents. What that means is that one or both parents left their lives physically and were not there to raise them. And emotionally, it was that they were physically there, but they did not meet the emotional needs of the child. So there was no hugs, there was no real interactions. You didn't feel good enough. You didn't feel loved by them. Yeah, maybe they gave you everything you needed economically. So they, you know, you had a nice house, you had nice clothes, you went to a nice school, there was food on the table, but there was no connection with the parent. And most people will say, oh, that's not a big deal. But actually, emotional abandonment is the one that can do the most harm to a lot of the people that I have worked with. There is a genetic and environmental component to the development of BPD. So if you see the child as a fertile ground, the things that will happen in the environment will plant the seed. But if you don't have that fertile ground, which is the genetic component of it all, then even if you try to plant the seed, nothing will happen. So people will tell me that they were very sensitive as children, they could feel the environment and people's emotions more than other people could. And so that's like the fertile ground. Now, again, you can have that fertile ground, but if no seed is planted, you have a healthy environment, a loving environment, then BPD will never develop. You you need both components to be able to have BPD grow and flourish. Another part is the unstable relationship. The I love you, I hate you. The, you're great today and tomorrow you're nothing to me. It's, it's very ups and downs and, and it leads to push pulls. And, and a lot of times it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because, again, the unstable relationships are that way because if I'm convinced that you're going to leave me, because it's not a matter of if you're going to leave me, it's a matter of when you're going to leave me in their minds, that I'm constantly pushing you away because, well, you're going to leave me, so I might as well just get rid of you and control when you're going to leave. But then I, I don't want you to leave. So come here, come here, come here. And what happens is that with time, people get tired of this push and pull and they go, ah, this isn't going to work for me. I'm going to leave. And the person with BPD takes that as, uh-huh, I see. I knew it was going to happen. So now you finally did it. But they don't even realize that they created the whole situation by the push pull. They didn't mean for it to happen. But again, if we believe something will happen that is inevitable, then we will act as if it's going to happen. And unfortunately, nine times out of 10, it will happen. It will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. The next one is an unclear sense of self. It's what I call being a chameleon. It's a, it's a protective way, a defense mechanism. Also, if you're trying to survive your childhood and through your teen years, when other people are figuring out what they like, what they don't, you're trying to survive, you're trying to get through each and every day, you're not figuring out who you are. You don't have the time to sit there and go, 
oh yeah, I like lasagna and this is why I like lasagna. You just, whatever, I'm going to eat and move on. I'm not going to think beyond that. And the chameleon part of that is very much the survival mechanism. It's that I'll blend in, I'll fit in, however you present, I'll present equally so that I look like I belong to your group and therefore you're not going to hurt me. You're not going to do anything to me because like a chameleon, I mix into the environment and sometimes you might not even see me. And so I'm safe. The thing is that a lot of these defense mechanisms that were created to protect the person actually works against them. Because if you blend in, that's great. But if you don't know who you are, well, then others can define you. Others can tell you who you are. Others can control you. Because if you're chameleoning, you're probably also people pleasing. And so a lot of times that ends up with you being around the wrong people and then they're using you, abusing you and defining you, which leads to the next thing, which is that we can become self-destructive. If we're with the wrong people or we feel that we're not good enough, we're triggered, we might get impulsive. And, and, and there's so many ways to self-destruct. There's drinking, there's using drugs, there's driving while intoxicated. There's not coming to work because, well, my friends aren't going. We all got drunk last night, so I'm not going to go. And you go a couple, you don't, you do that a couple times. Before you know it, you've lost your job. There's just a myriad of ways to self-destruct. And you probably know at least one. If you, if you recognize everything that I'm saying, you probably already know how you do it in at least one way or another. The core of BPD, in my experience, is shame. It's very much shame. Like Brene Brown says, the feeling of not being good enough. And this is why self-destruction is such a thing and and self-harm is such a thing for people with BPD. Because high levels of shame can lead, in my experience with a lot of clients, to self-hatred. Or at least, at the very least, self-dislike. You can't possibly be telling yourself every single day, obviously at a subconscious level, because most people are not even aware of how much they shame themselves, but you cannot constantly be telling yourself or feeling that you're not good enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not skinny enough, that you're not successful enough, that you're not pretty enough, and love yourself. You can't possibly put those two things together. And so, hence why people with BPD have such high levels of self-destruction and self-harming. Now, let me be clear, not everybody self-harms and there's a lot of different ways of self-harming because the one that's mostly associated with BPD is cutting, but a lot of clients do not or they will have done it during their teen years, which by the way, you cannot be diagnosed until after the age of 18. You can show signs of BPD before 18. We call them budding borderlines, but they cannot be officially diagnosed until the age of 18. But I've had a lot of clients that during their teen years, they they did cut, but as they grew and they became older, they grew out of, of cutting and maybe they started sleeping around, didn't use protection, they were drinking and driving, they were burning themselves, they were engaging in eating disorders that are very self-harming because some of them can be life-threatening, actually. And that takes us to another thing that people with BPD struggle with a lot, which is suicidal ideations. 
And in my experience, there's been two types of suicidal ideations that people with BPD struggle with, which is passive and active. Passive means that I'm not really going to do anything to end my life, but if my car happens to go over the bridge and I die as a result, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stop it. You know, now active is that I am actively doing something to end my life. And there's a myriad ways of doing that. And I'm not really going to go into details because right, the obvious reasons don't want to give anybody any ideas. The reason people in my personal experience working with people who have BPD, the reason they have suicidal ideations is because living with BPD is not easy. Living with the ups and downs, feeling not good enough, basically being miserable all the time is not compatible with wanting to live life. It's really about, I don't see an end to this emotional pain that I feel all the time. I just want it to end. And the only way I can see it ending quickly without me having to really do anything beyond this action of taking my life is to die. I, I don't have the energy to do anything else. I don't see the point of trying anything else. I've tried and tried and tried and life and people have proved to me that it's not going to get better no matter what I do. So I'm just going to take this, this exit. I'm just going to end it all. And whatever's on the other side is on the other side. I really don't care. So it's not, it's not about, oh, I want attention or any of these other things that people tend to think about BPD or people with BPD. It's about the emotional pain. And when we go into emotions, that's the next, the next criteria is poor emotional regulation. It's the ups and downs, which for, in my experience, has really, people with BPD, it's anxiety and depression. Somebody will tell me, well, my whole life I've struggled with anxiety and depression. And you, you keep talking, you keep getting information, you come to realize the anxiety and the depression is really borderline. With the anxieties being the highs, when I overthink and I rev myself up, I go into anxiety. And the depressions being the lows, which usually are environmentally contingent, which all that means is that there's something in the environment that's causing the ups and downs. And the downs are usually triggered by the threat or the actual occurrence of a rejection or abandonment. It sends the person into a spiral, usually shame-related. The other thing is they have a lot of chronic emptiness. And if you are like, what, what does that mean? What does chronic emptiness mean? Like, it's... It's like looking into the void, that sucking, all-encompassing nothingness. It, for some people, it's like a vacuum in, in their chest. It's, it's a very uncomfortable, skin-crawling feeling. It's almost, some have described as, when I'm alone, I cease to exist. I disappear. Because as a chameleon, if I don't have others around me to validate me, to see me, to define me, I have nothing. I'm, I'm numb. And even though I'm physically here, I feel like I'm already gone. That goes into the whole part of people with BPD because they don't know who they are and they don't know how to validate themselves. 
they need others to validate them, which is good. We all from time to time like the validation of others. I mean, social media is literally created to get validation from others to say, hey, here's my life. Please like it. And when people like it and they support it and they're giving you back positive feedback, that's amazing. It feels amazing. And validation is not necessarily a bad thing. We all need it from time to time. But if you cannot validate yourself and you need others to be able to validate you, to tell you that you are pretty enough, that you are good enough, that that, that food you made is good enough, it tastes great, and these people are not healthy people, they're not supportive people, then there's going to be times that they're going to send you into spirals because, well, really? You're going to wear that dress? <laughs> You're a little on the chunky side, aren't you, girly? Can send somebody into an eating disorder spiral where they starve themselves or they do other forms of eating disorders that really harms them and hurts them. And so it, it just doesn't benefit them and actually makes you completely powerless to other people because now they have control over whether you feel good enough about yourself or not. And, you know, obviously this has been discussed a lot about how social media has a, has a positive, positive side, but it also has a very dark side. Now, the other thing that people with BPD struggle with, and again, all these criteria doesn't mean that you're going to meet all of them. It doesn't mean that you're going to meet some of them. Everybody's different. It's just how, it affects you and your life and your ability to function. But the next one is dissociation. People with BPD tend to dissociate because their emotions are going up and down and they hit a 10 and they're overwhelmed by that emotion. And so they shut down. Basically, that's what dissociation is, is your brain shutting down. Obviously, you're still functioning, you're still walking around, you're still doing whatever you need to do, but you're an autopilot. And so a lot of the information is not going in. The way I know if somebody's probably dissociating a lot is if they come in and they describe what I call Swiss cheese brain which means that there's a lot of gaps in the memory that people are going throughout their day and they can't remember a lot of things. And most people out there that don't have a personality disorder have had moments of dissociation, but for them, it's usually about, you know, I had a thousand things in my head at the end of the day after work, I drove home and I got home and I can't remember how I got there because I was thinking about all these different things and it can be very scary, but most people again, okay, I just got home from work. I'm tired. They take a shower. They go to bed. They wake up the next day and they're not dissociated. People with BPD, because they, the, the root of the emotional regulation issue is that because I was surviving, I couldn't sit there and feel my feelings because feeling your feelings is vulnerable. And for people who are trying to survive, they feel it's a weakness because it takes up energy. It takes up time. I need to process that stuff. I don't have that time. I just push it down, push it down, push it down. And if you've been pushing down your emotions your whole life, you never learned how to regulate them, you know, because you cannot regulate what you cannot see or feel. And so the way to deal with it and keep pushing it down was to dissociate, which worked for a while. And for many people, that until they came to me, it was working fantastically until it wasn't. All of a sudden, now they have IBS and they have migraines or they have high blood pressure or they have a myriad of, of health issues 
And they're like, I don't understand why I can't control my anger. It's just from zero to a hundred in two seconds. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I feel my feelings so much more intensely than everybody else. And I say to you, that is your reality. That is true. But the reason that is true is because you never learned how to feel your feelings, how to sit in your body because your body warns you of your emotions before you have cognitively caught on that you are feeling your feelings. So let's say today something happened that triggered your emotions, but because you just automatically shut it down before you even cognitively were aware that you had shut it down, you didn't notice that you got triggered. But three days later, you have your coffee spill, you lose your ever-loving mind, and you're like, oh my God, I, I just cannot control myself. I don't understand what's going on with me. And it's like, no, you can control yourself. You just have to learn how to be able to regulate your emotions. But that starts with feeling your feelings so that when that, that event first happened, you'd notice in your body like, hmm, something's off. What's going on? And you can go aside and try to look at what, hey, what's, let me look at what's going on with me. Why do I feeling this in my body? What is it that I'm feeling in my body first? Because, you know, it could be that you're just hungry, but then it also could be that you're triggered and maybe you're feeling some shame. And you, if you can catch that early on when an emotion is like a two, it's way easier to be able to regulate it than if you're at a 10. When you're at 10, you're just writing that out and just hope that you don't punch somebody in the face. But if you can catch it at a 2, you can calm down, you can think it through, you can you can use your coping skills and find a solution if there is one. And if not, be able to walk away knowing that there's nothing but to radically accept that people and things are what they are and you cannot control them. You can only control you, but if you don't know what you're feeling, you can control you. The next thing is that I want you guys to all understand that BPD is on a spectrum and, and can come with other diagnoses. What this means is that not everybody's going to present the same and people have different severity and how they present. So how you present is going to be different than how somebody else presents and how females present is different than how males present. The other thing I want to discuss is that there is a lot of stigma around BPD because I really consider it to be because of ignorance. Be it in the field or not in the field, you know, therapists or non-therapists, there's a lot of misinformation about BPD and the people who struggle with it and that they're manipulative, that there's no way to overcome it. And actually, in my experience, my personal experience, BPD is the only personality disorder that you can recover from. There is a whole set of coping skills that are made just for people with BPD. It's called Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, DBT. And it is very effective. Now, anybody recovering from anything, be it PTSD, a, you know, any other disorder, not just BPD, really does depend on the person's willingness to do the work, to, to go through all the change, because it is a lot of work, uh, because we're basically rewiring your whole brain. And you're having to relearn how to live. 
and not be in survival mode. So it's not an easy thing and it takes time. Yes, this is in a six month voyage. This is sometimes from a year all the way to four or five years, depending on the severity. And really, the biggest issue is the internal battle. The part of you that does want to get better, fighting the part that's okay with staying where it is, because there's a part of you that I call it the system that it requires survival mode to function. It requires you to be in chaos and in a mess to be able to do what it does. And so it's going to fight you on trying to get back into a healthy place where you can just live and not survive. Now, I want you to understand that BPD, people with BPD are normal. And yes, you're probably looking at me and going, what? (laughs) What do you mean BPD is normal? No, it isn't. Yes, my friend. One, normal is relative. It's subjective. But if you grew up in an environment that was unhealthy, that's had generations of personality disordered behaviors or features or full-blown cases of, of personality disorders, there's just a lot of dysfunction in your whole family. You're not going to walk away without something. And so normal is relative because I have so many people come to me and say, oh, I just want to be normal. Well, you're already there. You already are normal. We just have to find a new normal that is healthier for you. Now, a small percentage of people with BPD have no trauma. I have never met a person that has BPD that didn't have trauma, but a lot of studies say that there is a small percentage of people that genetically do develop this without the trigger from the environment. I cannot really speak much about this because I have never met them. I have never treated these people, so I would not be able to really say anything about it. The tricky thing about trauma is that most people don't recognize it. They they come in and they say, oh, my childhood was great. I mean, yeah, I dissociate. Yeah, you know, I have some abandonment issues. I don't have stable relationships. Don't really have a clear sense of who I am. I'm impulsive. I have all these issues. You know, I have a, a hard time regulating my emotions, but you know, it's really not my childhood. It's this boyfriend I dated or, you know, I got bullied. And yeah, these things probably added to it. But the tricky thing about trauma is that it's not always recognizable. Why? Because we all think, oh, trauma, yeah, it's getting beaten. It's getting raped. It's it's these obvious big things. But nobody really thinks about the emotional and psychological abuse and that it's been going on for generations in your family. So what is trauma is your normal And so you might not recognize it at all. It's not until you start really processing and and processing the feelings and everything. Like I've had clients that come in and they're like first generation immigrants and their parents had to work really hard. So they had to take care of all their siblings. They had to cook. They had to clean, you know, and the person will be like, yeah, you know, my parents did the best that they could. And yeah, I had to take care of my siblings and I had to do all these things and I rarely ever saw them. But, you know, it was okay. You know, I was just helping and we all pitched in and we did what we had to do. That's not trauma. And yes, truth be told, the parents didn't purposely try to to traumatize you because, again, I'm not here to vilify the parents and blame them for everything. A lot of parents do mean well. They really did do the best that they could. And yours may have done the best that they could. 
and they still hurt you. And so the work in therapy is not to vilify your parents and make them the bad guys, but it's to acknowledge how, you know, them parentifying you in the example that I provided, which is what they felt they had to do to be able to survive, to make money so that you guys could continue, you know, having a house, clothes, food, shelter, all these good things. They did these things with the best of intentions, but it hurt you. And it, it could, it, for my clients, it led to the, the making of BPD, of a personality disorder. And so we have to acknowledge that and feel what the child felt. Because yes, as an adult, we can say, well, our parents meant the best and they, they had to do what they had to do. And so you can minimize and justify and understand. But the child that went through it did not understand. And that's the, the part of you that you need to be able to access in therapy and be able to allow that child to feel the feelings and express those, those thoughts that they couldn't when they were a child because they'd get in trouble. Because without that acknowledgement, without that processing, without that ability to feel those feelings, I personally do not believe you can fully heal because that's required to do so. And so I hope that this, this has helped you guys to understand this, this little small synopsis has helped you guys to understand what is BPD so that, you know, you can get help if it's that you feel that this applies to you, or maybe you can support those around you or that person around you that does have these symptoms because now you better understand that they're not the villain in the movie and they're not bad people. It's just that they, survive trauma and these different mechanisms, defense mechanisms, survival mechanisms, and just day-to-day ways of being is how they got through the trauma. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, you know, now that we're out of the trauma, we don't need to survive anymore. We can now move on to healthier ways of living, thinking, coping, and doing. And there is hope. I see it every day throughout the over 10 years I've been working with people with BPD. So it can be done. And so I hope this has helped and I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.